Hello, everybody. I'm James. I'm the pastor of the Glenwood Moravian Community Church here in Madison, and you have found The Essentials. It's a little podcast for us to explore our faith, to talk about what's happening in the world, and hopefully to celebrate some hope that we see out there. For this episode, I have for you our readings and then our message from Sunday, December 17th, the third Sunday in Advent, just a week away from Christmas Eve. I hope Advent has been treating you well. I hope you are prepared for Christmas, and I hope that this message will be a blessing to you on that journey. The first reading came from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. It was verses 1 through 4, and then 8 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint, faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown up to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. And then our gospel lesson is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. In 19 through 28, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, 
I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Here ends the reading of the word. Now, if you listened to last week's episode, I promise that there wasn't an error when we selected the scripture reading for this week. Because you might have had a little deja vu as you heard John the Baptist proclaiming from the wilderness, talking about his own unworthiness to even untie the sandals of Jesus' feet. Probably sounded pretty familiar. Because the lectionary does give us this same account, the same story, two weeks in a row, just from different Gospels. And I had to even double-check my schedule as I read the passage because all I could think was, didn't I just preach on that? And of course, there's temptation there for a great social experiment. Preach the same sermon from last Sunday and find out who is really paying attention when I preach. But I decided not to do that. The most significant difference between these passages about John preparing the way for Christ is how they begin. Last week, Mark's gospel started with a reference to the prophet Isaiah, and that helped set the scene. Here in John's gospel, we first hear how the word of God is the word of life and light. And that light sent from God shines in the darkness. Darkness cannot overcome it. And John here, rather than a Baptist, is called the witness. And he's sent to testify to that light. He's not the light himself. His job is to point to it. And that's the word of God made known in Jesus. That's really who John is. He says no when the crowd asks if he's the Messiah, if he's Elijah, if he's a prophet. He says he's not any of those things. And to his credit, it seems like he's okay with not being those things that they're expecting. He knows his role. And right now, that role is to point people to the light. So light and darkness actually make up some of my earliest church memories as a kid. And not from a powerful sermon, not even from a Christmas Eve service, but from the Moravian tradition of playing a game called sardines. And if you've never had the pleasure of playing, it's basically hide-and-seek in the dark. One person goes off and hides somewhere in the church, and then everyone splits up to find them. The wrinkle is that when you find the person who's hiding, you don't call out or expose their spot. You hide with them. And the others keep searching and slowly join in as they find the hiding spot until there's only one person out there who hasn't found the location yet. And by the end of the round, there's probably a dozen kids packed into one spot, not unlike sardines, while one poor soul is wandering the church hallways alone. This was a staple of our Wednesday night activities at Sturgeon Bay Moravian growing up. And I would grow to love the game, but my first experience of it 
brought a lot of anxiety. Surgeon Bay's church building is pretty big. There's a huge basement with several classrooms, a large sanctuary, a third floor of Sunday school rooms, and there's countless nooks and crannies along the way. You could get lost in there in the daylight, much less at night. And when we started going to their church, I was in the fourth grade. And I don't know if I had a serious phobia of the dark at that time, but like any kid at that age, I certainly didn't love it. And on top of all of this, I was one of the only kids in our group who went to a different school. So my Wednesday night was already a little stressful, just getting to know new people. And that was long before they turned off the lights and set us loose. And I remember that first round that I played. I was wandering the halls. I'd be running my hands along the wall as some form of security. And as the game goes on, as you walk around, you start passing fewer and fewer people because some have found where they need to be. And the laughter and the general chaos of kids running around searching, that starts to die down. And when it gets so quiet, somehow it gets even darker. I had covered as much of the church as I could, and it felt like I was the last one who hadn't found the group by now. And I assumed they were all in some secret hiding spot that a newbie wouldn't know anything about. And just before I was sent into a full-blown panic in the dark, the church's secretary was leaving and happened to walk my way. When she asked how I was doing, so I explained the predicament that I found myself in. And I think she needed just a split second to decide for herself if she was going to tarnish the sanctity of sardines by helping out this poor new member of the church. And to her credit, she was. She was willing to risk the game of sardines to help me out. So she walked me down a flight of stairs. When we turned, she stopped at the landing before going down another set. And from that top stair... She quietly pointed to just a faint glow of light coming from a crawl space under the stairs. She nudged me forward, and then she turned around and went the other way, letting me find the secret hiding spot and amaze my classmates that I could discover it all on my own. Now, the entire game, that entire round when I felt so lost, that little bit of light, it was there, waiting to be found. It just took someone pointing me in the right direction so I could see the light shining in the darkness. And that's the role that John the Baptist takes on. He takes it on with great joy as he walks with us during Advent. He is pointing us to the light. He might not be the Messiah. He might not be Elijah or a prophet. But he is the one who's helping people find 
the one true light that drives out darkness. And he knows he's not going to get all the credit. He might not get remembered in the same way that Jesus will be. But he knows who he is. And he knows where the people need to be. Because he sees that hope is arriving in this broken world. That good news, the best news of God's infinite love being made known in Jesus is here to walk with us, to guide us. And he knows that he needs to send people in that direction. He's here to help people find the light so then they can embrace it for themselves. Friends, as Christians, our calling is the same as John's this morning. Because here we are walking in this troubled world. We see chaos and darkness at every turn. We experience such great loss and pain. But we don't lose sight of the light. And that's the gift we give to others. That no matter how difficult things might be, we can confidently say there is hope and love waiting to be found. And I know that sometimes that can be a remarkable challenge. Sometimes it's too bleak. Sometimes it's too dark. And good news can so easily be lost in the fog that covers this light. But as we approach Christmas, we are reminded yet again that Christ is going to break through. In unexpected ways, even with the most humblest of glow, in ways we're moving too quickly to notice, Christ's light shines through. And if we don't first know of it and embrace it, if we don't seek it, and proclaim it, well, it's going to be a lot harder for others to find for themselves. So less than a week away from celebrating Christ's birth, John passes the torch to us. We point to the light. We say there's love, there is hope, there's good in this world that we can produce rather than being consumed with our worries and our anxieties. I'm sure there's someone in your life for whom this season is full of darkness. Someone who's having a hard time feeling joy with the burdens that they are carrying. Be the one to help them see the light. Point them in the direction of the hope that's tangible and real. Tell them they are loved. Thank them for the joy they have brought to your life. And it might just be a quick visit, a phone call, or a text, and really it might not seem like much in the grand scheme of things. But I promise you that helping them find even just a glimmer of light can make all the difference. So let's be the ones to help a path change from darkness 
to light. Because as Christians, that is who we are. And that's what Jesus needs us to do. Amen. Well, thank you for stopping by for another episode. Blessings to you as we walk closer and closer to Christmas. I hope it is a joyful, love-filled holiday for you. You can find out more about the church that I serve, Glenwood Moravian. You can check us out through our website, through our Facebook. You could worship with us on YouTube. And if you want to know more about the Moravian Church in general, go check out moravian.org. So thank you for listening. Take care. And I will catch you next time.